Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Jeremy Bright Podcast. I am so excited for this episode with the legendary four-time Olympic gold medalist. He won two of those in the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984. He won two more in 1988 in Seoul, South Korea, and he probably would have won two more in Moscow had the United States not boycotted that event. He's an absolute gift to this world for what he demonstrated as a peak performer, but he's an absolute gift too because of his amazing poetic mindset that I got to learn and that you will all get to learn today. And if you don't have a notepad with you, stop this podcast right now and go get a notebook and go get a pen because you're going to want it. And you're going to want to listen to this episode multiple times, whether you're an athlete or a business owner, because it's his mindset that really allowed him to stand up and to deliver every single time. Because he says at one point that each opportunity is an opportunity for peak performance. This is an incredible episode. It's the legendary Greg Luganus. We jump right into the episode because we started talking. I said, this is gold. And I'm just going to start it right here. Enjoy. That I love that. Well, one of the things I was going to ask you about, about fear is it's, it's my belief that people don't necessarily fear failure. I think they fear pressure. And so one of the things that I like to tell my clients and other people is like, hold the space for yourself. And of all the people that were forced to hold space, I see yourself and golfers as that same silent moment of about 10 seconds or less of standing on that dive board and all eyes are on you and you're having to hold that space for yourself. And I'd be curious to know if you noticed when people were nervous, if they dove a little quicker or if they didn't give themselves that extra moment to take that deep breath. Cause I, I was, wa- I was watching, I, I went back and watched some of your old clips uh-huh. And it was absolutely beautiful. It was such a beautiful, you have an incredible art. Thank you. But it was, but it was so fascinating to watch you sit there and hold that space for yourself until you were absolutely ready. You know, what was that like learning how to hold that space for yourself and not have that moment be too overwhelming for you? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, you, you talk about, holding space, I, I kind of refer it to as getting in the rhythm. Everything has rhythm. Comedy. You know, when, when I was, you know, when, you know, you're doing a production, choreography, you know, uh, you know, everything has a rhythm. Performance has a rhythm. And it's basically tapping in and following that rhythm and not disrupting that, that rhythm. Um, also allowing, 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 uh, that is, uh, it was, it was so fascinating because like, uh, I can't remember when it was, but a couple of years ago, somebody sent me the, um, uh, the video of, the 1980 Olympic trials. And Mm -hmm. it was so fascinating. It had every diver, every dive of the prelims and finals of both three meter springboard and 10 meter platform. And I hadn't seen those dives. I don't study my, you know, I, I really didn't study my dives um, because my coach Ron O'Brien said that he, he wouldn't sit me down to uh, go over the videos because I would overanalyze. <laughs> and he knew, he knew you well. Yeah. And so then, um, you know, so I, you know, and, and also diving, it's more about getting the feelings and sensations in your body. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. I was going to be like, if you didn't study it, I wonder if that forced you to really feel everything you were doing, like your toe touch before the arms outstretched, before they went down, as if it was this beautiful, that's what I was saying. It was a beautiful art. I feel like I was watching the boom, 
Boom. And Boom. and and that's what uh, and he, and Ron O'Brien understood that I was a performer. I wasn't a competitor. Thank. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You said that. Okay, I'm gonna ask you that later. Yeah, I mean, I I I'm, I'm a performer. I started on on stage. I was a dancer. I started dancing when I was a year and a half, performing on stage when I was three, singing and dancing, and then um, you know that into evolved into you know the acrobatics evolved into gymnastics evolved into diving, but I was a performer first. Mm-hmm. So um, it was all about you know, the performance. And as far, as far as I was concerned, uh, you know, a dive takes less than three seconds. Right. And so in diving, I, I, I felt so blessed because we had the opportunity to practice peak performance, you know, for men's three meter, we had 11 dives. And then if you go prelims and finals, you have um, 22 dives, 22 opportunities to uh, practice peak performance. On 10 meter, you have 10 dives. And so prelims finals, you have 22, uh, 20 dives. So that's 42 opportunities to practice peak performance. Every single dive, every single three, you know, that three, less than three seconds is an opportunity to create Oh my and gosh, ev- that is, that's so beautiful. And every, every dive is, is an individual creation. Do you feel like the way that you looked at this, because I've literally told people, I, I'm, I'm blown away at what's happening in this moment because I've literally told people, if you compete, you will play down to your opponent, you will play up to your opponent. And if you perform, no matter who's standing in front of you, no matter what's going on, you'll perform. So that blew my mind. Right. But, but, but Jeremy, I mean, if you, and, and I, I challenge the kids that I work with, is that if you're looking at somebody else as your competition, if they miss a dive, chances are you're going to miss the next dive. Absolutely. You're limiting your, your, you know, you're limiting yourself. Why would you limit yourself to somebody else's potential? Uh, I mean, I'm so on board with this. And so you looked at this. That was the most poetic way of looking at a sport I think I've ever heard in my life of I had 42 opportunities for creation. Right. It had, that had nothing to do with anybody else no. that you were going up against. No, but, but if, if I looked at, you know, if, if I looked at it as, as competing, mm-hmm. then I would be limiting what I would potentially be able to do. I would not, I would not have broken, you know, the records that I broke. If I was just, you know, if, if, if I was looking at somebody as my competitor, if I use, use them as a benchmark, oh, they hit that, so I got to hit mine. As, as you saw it as an opportunity and how, like I said, poetic, do you feel like it took some of the nervousness away from competing because it was just an expression? Yes, um, it, to, to a degree, yeah. <laughs> because <Okay>. because, because <laughs> in, in, in my training sessions with my coach, Ron O'Brien, is we, okay, in order to break 700 on 10-meter platform, I had to average eight and a halves or better on all 10 dives. Right. So we would play the 700 game in practice. And so he would be scoring my dives and, you know, going through my list of dives in the order that I would be competing them. Because I felt that was a part of the performance as well. Each, each dive, you know, dovetailed into the, you know, the previous dive, you know, it's, it's, it's all, that's how I, stru- that's how I structured it. You know, that was, right. that was the choreography. Well, it was beautiful because you didn't give them too much too soon when it allowed you to have your big punches at the end. Well, yeah, because the most difficult dives are at the end. Of course. And of course. so it's, and, you know, you're incrementally challenging yourself. Um, but yeah. So the, when, when I was at the 84 Olympic games, I knew I was on world record pace because I knew I was, you know, above the eight, eight and a half mark. And so a key dive was my inward three and a half. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, if I get through this, you know, then it could be golden. 
<laughs> and it's like, oh shit, you know. <laughs> and, it's funny how successful do that to you. Yeah, too. I mean, and and so the thought was, okay, what if I get so close but don't get there? And then also there was a fear of success. Well, what happens if I do get there? And it, mm. But ultimately, I mean, I, I had to stay focused on the job at hand. So it was like, okay, just forget all that shit, you know, and just do, do it, do the inward three and a half, like I did in practice. And it was, did you ever- it, it was funny because I, I nailed my inward three and a half in practice. And my coach was like, shit, you threw that away. You could have used that in the competition. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got up there and I did my inventory and, and he just, he was blown away that I, I you know, it was mm-hmm. equal to or, or better than, just yeah, as it good. was just as good, you know? And so I got through my inventory three and a half and then it, you know, that little kind of stress thing kind of came back. It's like, Oh my God, what if I get, you know, so far, that you, know come- <laughs> and, you know, but just reminding myself, you know, just do the dive, focus on the dive, focused on that moment you know, and just breathe and, and allow mm-hmm. my body to do what it was trained to do. The trigger of, of breath seems so simple. Did you have, I know my mentors really helped me in this or, cause I'm a singer as well. And I, I, I'm a performer. And so maybe that's where I get this similar mindset to you. Right. I know that if I can't breathe, I can't sing. Right. It's, right. just, it's impossible. And so I, sometimes I will literally, if I'm on the court and if I feel that little bit of angst come up, if I've hit a couple shots, it's kind of similar. If I hit a couple shots in a row and I know that I can start to feel the crowd and I can start to feel my teammates, mm-hmm. if anything, that's where the, man, this could be, this could be legendary <laughs> comes mm-hmm. into mind. <laughs> and I have to take a deep breath and I usually try to take one into my lower back, mm-hmm. like through my nose. Like it just, cause it's something that is really difficult to do while playing basketball so it kind of recenters right. me did you did you have any other triggers outside of like did you have anything that you said to yourself in that moment outside of just focus on your breath well, or like you know the trigger to get you back in that yeah moment? i mean that's that that was that was the timing that was the rhythm that was all of uh, okay. all of that you know it's it's all encompassing when i when i talk about you know rhythm and timing you know breath is there i mean when because i did musical theater too you know and so i mean singing was not my i was a dancer who could carry a tune so when i you know when when it came time to sing and actually you know learn the songs i would have to put you know where the breath goes so that my phrasing would be Mm. you know correct that i would be supported you know so i i would always mark my breaths um and then practice and then the practice you know it becomes more you know muscle memory than you know a thought um of oh shit i have to breathe um but i i i i do that with all of the the performers and athletes that I work with, you know, I do dog agility, right? And so I challenge all of my dog agility uh, athletes that I work with. I say, okay, when you walk the course, where are you going to put the breath? You know, a course, wow. you know, it's just like singing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you have to give, you know, sometimes some dogs are trained on verbal cueing. So you have to be able to support the verbal cue if you're going to, you know, be barking out, you know, verbal cues. Um, but you need to know where those breath breaths go. And and in in that flow. And so, um, you know, just like singing, you know, I put the breath, you know, in, in diving in, in, in I, I, I did this one, I, I'm in my prof- professional dance debut with dance kaleidoscope. And there was the piece that I was in, I was on stage, it was 13 and a half minutes. And I never left the stage. I was the only one who never left the stage. And it was brutal. Oh it was brutal because some of the choreography <laughs> was so intricate and fast and you know it, it you know crescendoed and it was like insane but i in in uh in rehearsals i had to figure out where the breaths go because that also Does affects it. your balance in, oh, in transition 
Well, it affects your body posture right. too. You know, one of one of the things that I teach not only the because I'm I was one of those I call myself an ex nice guy who was pretty much invisible in the world because of the way that I showed up was kind of that apologetic stance, the apologetic breath, the apologetic speaking. Right. Um, and, and so if you're going to be a performer and you're apologizing, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to, you're going to cut yourself. I don't care what you're trying out for. You're not going right. to make it. Um, so it's, it's been absolutely fascinating. Do you, did you find the, like, I, I, I love the beauty of the rhythm. Did you find like the co- the beauty of comedy and like, do you, since you look into kind of the rhythm of everything, the rhythm of a dance, the rhythm of performance, did you find that you had something that was a favorite, you know, maybe that kind of brought you back. Like if you had a rough month, maybe with something, you know, maybe the rhythm of just maybe playing an instrument or the rhythm of going and dancing that kind of just recentered Greg. I, you know what I, you know, I find that in my yoga practice, you know, I, I, I really reconnect, you know, through my yoga practice. And it, it was so funny because like I, you know, I, I came into yoga uh, kind of late in life, and and then it, it was kind of backwards, you know, because <laughs> because I would, um, you know, I would go to the yoga class, and you know, saying, okay, raise your arms, inhale, exhale, forward bend. I was like, God, do people have to be reminded to breathe? You know, it, was, <laughs> it, it just it was like. You know, uh, it was so bizarre to me because I thought, I thought everybody did that. You thought everyone thought like yeah. you did. Yeah. So I thought that was like really odd and strange. And then I real, and then I started understanding. Oh, people didn't have the you know the training that I did. I mean, that's that's like with visualization too. I mean, my interpretation. I I learned visualization when I was three. Yeah, because that was my first performance on stage. And so, you know, the, the day of the, re- the recital, uh, we had, um, you know, a, sh- a short little rehearsal. And so, of course, I've got the costume, the, the top hat and a cane. And so some of the choreography changed. And, and it was like, oh, shit, you know. And so my teacher, you know, um, she said, OK, I'm going to play the music and just do do the the routine fluid and she put the put the music on and left the room it's like oh okay <laughs> and i was left in the studio and the music's playing and so then my interpretation of that was oh, okay imagine yourself doing the routine it's like okay and so it took four times before i could make it fluid you know that all of the transitions right. and all that stuff mm-hmm. you know there was no hesitation right. And no, right. You weren't skipping, you weren't skipping right, ahead. and no, no question right. or anything. And so then after f- four times, you know, I found her in her office and I said, you know, okay, I did it fluid. And she came back into the studio, increased the tempo. So it was faster than I would be performing. She said, make it fluid. And then boom, and wow. boom, I'd made it fluid. It's like, oh, and she said, okay, you're ready. And then I performed that night, but that was so smart because had I done the routine over and over and over and over again, my muscles, I was only three years old. My muscles would have been so fatigued. I wouldn't have been able to perform. And so that's how I was introduced to visualization. And then that was, God, that was 63. And so then the sports psychologist started coming around the pool in the late seventies, early eighties and said, have you tried mental imagery or visualization? I'm like, like duh, <laughs> doesn't everybody do that? Doesn't everybody yeah. do this? It's like, <laughs> backwards. That, it's like that's cr- crazy. Why are you asking me that? That's such a silly question, you know? And so, you know, then that's when I realized, I mean, people, my experience was not what other people had experienced. And people actually had to learn those things. It really wasn't. And if you think I did a, I did an exercise one time and we got about 10 more minutes, if that's okay. We, we, I did an exercise one time because I've just constantly taken a backseat in my own life at times. As I told Mm -hmm. you, you know, I, I want to know why, why I'm happy, why things are going well. And this one day I walked around and I tried to smile for an entire day for no reason. (laughs) 
And I saw four other people that were over the age of 13 smiling for no reason. They weren't in conversation and they weren't talking to somebody or something like that. And what was really fascinating is I saw about the 12, 13 range was kind of when I would see a kid smile or do something that was a little outlandish or emotional and then be like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then I'd watch them quiet down. And then I would watch them start to parent their three, four, seven-year-old brothers and sisters. And be like, hey, 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 knock it off. Knock it off. And I was like, wow, I'm watching the diminish of emotional and beautiful intelligence and creativity and just spontaneity from children mm -hmm. because of our society and our parents and, and these kids. And so it's, it's fascinating because I feel like everybody <laughs> outside of Mr. Greg McGainis <laughs> had these experiences of they weren't challenged to be more creative or more um, in depth with their visualization and breathing and stuff like that. So I just think that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I it's yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, it's beautiful though, because and one of the other things too, did you ever, when you were visualizing, you know, after this age of three, which is mm -hmm. mind blowing to me, um, did you ever try, like, when you were visualizing your dives to visualize literally each step, like up the steps and then up onto the platform, each walk, you know, and then you're standing in front that breath like you, did you really go through every second and try not as you say fluid mm -hmm. does that is that what that means by that well um uh, what i started to say about the 1980 olympic trials is that mm -hmm. um in my observation it was so fascinating because you could see you know the individuals that were trying to control the environment and those who were just uh embracing the environment that they were in and it was really funny because um, actually I had to uh, reach out to one of the divers that one of my competitors, uh, um, Brian Bungham, I reached out to him, Brian, you are a really awesome diver. I never hey, knew that. Hey, Greg, I'm sorry. And I had, then, I had, a, because, I had a phone call that got to my do not disturb. Let me go ahead and make sure I have that completely turned on again. It was my head coach. Um, you said the 1980 Olympic trials and then you saw people that were, um, they were embracing the environment. That was the last thing I heard. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, there were, there were, um, yeah, there were a, a, some of the athletes who were trying to control the environment, you know, where they, you know, because they announced your dive, then the Bach judge to, uh, blows a whistle to indicate that the judges are ready and they're ready to, to judge the dive. Well, sometimes they take a little bit long, and so some of the divers would like scowl down at the box judge <laughs> to blow the whistle. You know, they're trying to control the environment, but the athletes who were just allowing it to be a part of the their, the experience, and you know, it was so different. And so, um, like Brian Bungham was, he followed me, and he was leading going into you know what the seventh or eighth round or something mm -hmm. like that you know he was done really really well and then um i did my reverse one and a half straight and i got a few tens Ooh, nice. and then you could see it when he was you know setting the board that he was definitely distracted you know by my dive mm -hmm. And then, he, and then he missed his dive. He, I think he ended up fourth. He was the alternate. Ooh, he went from first to fourth? Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I, I yeah. feel like I almost and... heard you say the word um, when you said they were embracing it to the point of adding it to their, like, performance. Like, make it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because, like, you know, that, and that's the thing. That's, that's a part of the timing and the rhythm. I mean, you have to be alert and aware, you know, to that timing and rhythm, you know, and, you know, and, and uh, not try and force it, you know. It's, you know, when you start trying to force things into your little box, then that's when things kind of go awry and that's you know then the timing is is off so how does the visualization come into play with that then be do you try to visualize different scenarios or do you yeah i 
I, you, when I work with, with athletes and performers, I, um, you know, I said, you know what, don't visualize perfect. Mm. You know, if, if you are, if, if you have a tendency to um, make, you know, some type of error or, you know, you, you know, you're off a little bit, then visualize it from, you know, from that position of being off a little bit. And how can you make it successful? It's not about perfection. Perfection is unobtainable. So how do you make it the best that it can be in any circumstance? I feel right? like that comes from such a judgment-free place. Of Yeah, because, because you, you can't judge. You, there's no time for judgment. Well, and there's people they paid to do that. <laughs> right. You know, leave that to the judges, you know. I mean, you have judges who are scoring you. I mean, and, and that, that's another thing is that, um, you know, you have to take responsibility. You know, even if it is, a, a, mm-hmm. you know, a subjective sport, you know, it's your responsibility to win the judges over. Right. It's part of the per- performance. Yeah, it's a part of the performance. So yeah. that, that is your responsibility. You know, it's not that you know, somebody doesn't like you or something like that. It's just like, no, they're, they're judging the dive. They're judging what they see through their lenses. You know, my favorite part about a podcast is I go with the rhythm of the flow of the conversation. And, mm-hmm. and it might be the reason why, you know, my podcasts seem to do quite well, but it, it, it's so fascinating to me to be able to, to find a hole, a little rabbit hole and just look into it and be like, wow, this is so cool. And, I guess my my final one of my final questions to you is I call this the relatable role model segment, and the reason why I do is as I talked about before, you know, when we look at someone and we're a fan of them, we see this big gap in between where we are and where they are, and so I like to make it as relatable as possible. And so as you've tried to, you know, in my in my verbiage, you know, reverse engineer Greg and put that into these other athletes and performers and people that look up to you and trust you as their coach. What have you found to be the two most like important factors that you've been able to give people and how much joy does it give you when you see them get it? You know, uh, it, 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 it was funny. Cause like, um, I don't know if you, uh, you saw the weight of gold. I did not know the documentary um i think it i can't remember if it's hbo or netflix but um anyways way to gold uh michael phelps um david budaya is is in there as well and um you know they talk about you know the weight of gold the, you know the uh, other people's expectations and all that and mm-hmm. um and the post olympic blues which is you know very real <laughs> And, you know, um, and so uh, it's funny because like David Budaya, you know, he said, well, somebody told me about, you know, to be aware of the post-Olympic blues. And I was like, yeah, that was me. Because <laughs> that's, a, that's a first first thing that I tell the athletes that, you know, that I were talking to, you know, in preparation for London and preparation for Rio. You know, I was like, be aware of the post-Olympic blues. You know, you're, it's a going to the Olympics, really high, mm-hmm. high. You know, and then, you know, obviously after a high, high, you're, you're going to go into a valley, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and also, you know, it's the other thing that I challenged the athletes in preparation for London and Rio, because we hadn't gotten any medals in, um, we got one medal in 2000, zero medals in 04, and we had four more shots four more shots. We had synchronized, added synchronized diving. So you had four more opportunities to win a, win a medal, zero in 04, zero in 08. And then when I went to the kids, I said, okay, what's your ultimate diving goal? They said, make the Olympic team. I said, and then what? And then they just kind of <laughs> looked at each other and looked at me and said, make the Olympic team. I said, well, don't you want to, you know, get on the podium? Don't you want to win? Don't you, right. you know, it's like, don't you want to go there and bring something home? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and they just hadn't thought about that. I said, okay, from you know, from this point forward, you have to dedicate at least twenty percent of your training 
as training as if training as if you're at the Olympic games, you know, so that when you show up, you're not showing up like deer's cotton, deer caught in the headlights because you've been there, you know, you've been through, through those, you know, those emotions, those, those challenging times, you know, uh, before you even get there. So if, and, if you were going to have an athlete that wasn't in the Olympics, like for say, for instance, myself, we can use myself as an example. You know, this, uh-huh. this last off season, I've trained more as a performer and more as an entertainer. I think about, you know, why would they want to pay me, you know, thousands to right. millions of dollars to play basketball? And it had, I was like, okay, what well, probably wouldn't be because I can make, you know, three, five, six shots in a row. It would be because I can do it and then turn around in the middle of it and point at a kid or do something like that. So if I was going to do a visualization and, and you were my coach for the next three minutes, you were my coach. <laughs> um, what would you say to me is, and would it be similar to what you said to those athletes? Yeah, to, I, I, I would tell you just to, to be in touch, be, be in your body and, and just be aware and observant and observe, you know, the, the environment because that's the inspiration that you're going to get. That's, that's where you're going to collect the inspiration to what is, what's needed. What's, you know, what, what is, uh, you know, where the joy is, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. It's because, you, you know, if, if you try and force something, then it looks forced. Greg, you made me take a deep breath right there. I heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> the deep breath of mine. Well, I mean, this has been uh, absolutely amazing. I appreciate you so much. And like I said, it's been, it's been wonderful getting to watch you interact with, with others on Clubhouse. And, and you are attainable and you're an amazing person. Uh, the last question I always like to ask is, you know, as I call it the relatable role model segment, you know, I always like to say, you know, you've done so much, you know, you've had so much success. And so has a lot of people that have been on this show, but I like to be like, you know, what makes you just like everyone else? And, you know, those moments where you were, you know, like you talked about before, you know, you were scared or you had those nerves, you had those thoughts, you didn't know how to, you know, perform or be in the rhythm at all times. You know, what were those moments that made you just like everyone else? And then maybe how you got, how you got through that. You know, I think that it's funny because like a lot of people say, okay, who, who were, who were your heroes? Who, who are your role models? Mm -hmm. And I always felt that, um, no, there, there are people that I admired and I had like, you know, Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky, you know, they're great at what they do, you know, but, um, you know, that's just one thing that they can do. I mean, for me, you know, diving, yeah, I was really good dive, a real good diver, but, um, you know, some other areas of my life are a mess, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so, you know, it's just like I and, and also the people, the the people that I work with, I say, you know, don't look at me as your benchmark. I mean, I want you to be better than me. Yep. You know, I, I want you to be uh, I want I, I want to see my records broken. Mm-hmm. I, I want to observe it. I want to enjoy it. You know, and yes, I, you know, I, you know, I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to see my records broken. Um you know, when, when I was in London and uh, watching David Budaya, I mean, I, I really, I, I was taken by his performance because he just was unshakable. You know, uh, Tom Daly did a dive and then he had, he got a chance to redive. He dived right before David. And so that could have really disrupted his rhythm. But he didn't. He didn't allow it. He just took that in. It's like okay, you know, and and he went with it, you know. And then he just went, you know, each dive, each dive, each dive, and he ended up winning. And it was so 
strange because I got so emotional. I, I was like crying. Yeah. I'm like, and 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 I was like, when when he won, I was like in tears, and I'm like going, oh my god, I get it. You know, to be that invested and to be, you know touched so emotionally by you know his his success you know because I always wondered you know when people were coming up to me and I had won they're like in tears and all that it's like what's the big deal right I, I was I was just doing my job you know I was just doing what I was trained to do I, I I just didn't understand it but having gone through that experience it was mind-blowing to me because then I finally understood you know, that how, you know, emotionally, you know, you're kind of attaching to this individual's performance and how inspiring that is and how, you know, how that can be, you know, can affect you, you know, and it just affected it. it, it I was so emotional. I was like, oh, my God, where did that come from? And it was so cool because then I understood do you feel like that taught, and I have to ask this follow-up question because this is one of the rooms that I do a lot on Clubhouse. It's learning how to receive. It's learning how to receive yeah. that love yeah. and adoration instead of deflecting. Yeah. And be like, oh, yeah. it's just my job. You know, you said right. other parts of your life were kind of struggling. Was that one of your parts of your life that was struggling was allowing people to give you that adoration, not necessarily even fans, but maybe even close, fr <clears throat> close friends and yeah. family. And did he kind of unlock that for you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He, he, he did unlock that for me. And, and also it was so fascinating because I did this one exercise. I can't remember if it was Brad Blant, Blantley or um, Blanton, um, uh, radical honesty or something. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was take one third, like uh, from birth to, tw to 23, 23 to 47, 47 to current. Cause I'm 61. And, you know, th those are the three areas of your life. And then write down all of your accomplishments mm -hmm. in, in those times. And I did that. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I there were so many things yep. that I accomplished. And I'm like going, oh, my God, I never allowed myself to celebrate those those things. Because it was always something, something else, something next, you know, whether it was in gymnastics or dance or diving or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that, that thing was, you know, um, you know, performing on stage, doing a one man show, doing, you know, what, whatever that was, it was always something next. And I never allowed myself to embrace and and have the you know the pride of oh my god i i did something really cool <laughs> you know it's it's literally what i do with every one of my clients and it was honestly the first question i was going to talk about tonight was going to be or today was going to be having your own hearts back but when you do the pride exercises and actually allowing yourself to celebrate and there was a guy that was on um the Tim Ferriss show that talked about doing a little butt wiggle or something like that. And when you make a shot and, it, uh -huh. and just allowing the, allowing that, allowing your, that dopamine hit to actually hit yourself too, instead of just, you know, being this shield. And I actually wonder if that, cause I'm seeing your, your post career right now. I'm, I really am. And, and I'm getting to see it on clubhouse and I'm wondering if that's part of the, you know, cause I, I guess I'm just going to ask you, are you, do you feel like that your post career is growing at the rate that you thought it was going to based off of all the success that you had. You know, that's a, that's a hard question because, um, uh, you know, I, it, it, it's been so varied, mm -hmm. you know, because it's been so varied, you know, so many different interests and, um, you know, strivings and, and, and all that, you know, from, you know, stage and theater to dog agility to, you know, so many different things. Um, you know, that it's, I, you know, I, I, I think uh, I didn't allow myself you know, mm -hmm. to, you know, to embrace that, to say, wow, that's really cool. But I'm, I'm seeing that now. And 
and uh, you know, because oftentimes we get hung up on, oh, you should, you should, you should, you should do this, you should do that, you should, you know, we get hung up on all of that, you know, and especially, you know, if you like for my diving career, that there was so much huge focus there that when that went away, then that's, you're losing a part of your identity. Right. And so you need time to grieve and mourn, you know, where I just kind of jumped into, you know, various things, jumping, 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 jumping. It's like, okay, what, you know, what's my next step? Okay. You know, I, I almost made world team in dog agility, you know, so I, I was on that path. And then, you know, so it was always something, 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 but now you know, with COVID, you know, I've been able to kind of slow down. It's like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't celebrate a lot of these, these milestones that, that were actually pretty big. Well, I, I'm here to celebrate you now. And I'm so glad that you are celebrating yourself. Um, what would you like to say, uh, just, you know, as far as, you know, where people can, you know, w you know, what would you like, you know, from the listeners, you know, maybe um, for them to do a visualization with you or to, you know, um, you know, follow you on Instagram. What would you like the listeners to do? Well, you know, I I have the the, the course Meditation in Motion, and 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 it breaks down, you know, a lot all the things that I learned, you know, to get in touch with your breath, to you know, be aware of your body, and then the visual visualization stuff. And I I use games, you oh, know, fun. I. I I, I try, I try and approach it as games, you know, be curious about your breath, you know, how does that make you feel, you know, getting in touch with your body and then the visualization games, because I don't use visualization um, the way that you're ultimately going to use it. You know, I, I, we bake cookies and then I go on a roller coaster ride <laughs> and then we turn into a hummingbird and, you know, and activating all of our senses you know, in the games that we play with the visualization, the guided visualization, um, because, you know, it's, it, you never know what what is what you're going to benefit from. And you don't you don't know what senses might be um, stronger than, you know, than other senses. Like I, I was at the world championships in Madrid and the lighting was so odd i mean there was this big huge dome over the 10 meter platform so it was really bright up there and then you fall through these shadows and the pools kind of lit up a little bit so your eyes are dilating you know as you're falling 10 meters and so i wasn't picking up my visual cues i wasn't mm. picking up my spots and uh consistently and it was an indoor facility so there were two things on three meter springboard. There was a spray on the water. I could hear that. So then I was doing my front three and a half. I could hear the sound get louder and then go away. Hear the sound get louder and then go away. Hear the sound get louder. And then I'd be looking at my spot. So it wasn't just the visual cue that I was relying on. It was my hearing. Wow. And then on 10 meter platform inward three and a half, um, I could, you, the chlorine, the scent, you know, the smell of chlorine wafts off the surface of the water. And so I could smell the chlorine as I rotated and then it'd go away. And then I'd smell the chlorine and it'd go away. And then I'd smell the chlorine and then I, I'd be able to pick up my spot. So it was reinforcing what I was guessing at. So utilizing your senses in order to be successful, don't rule anything out. You know, in, in your imaginary work. I mean, that happened to me when I was doing the one man show um, because I'm dyslexic. So the way that I learn a script and dyslexia is a learning difference. We learn differently. It's not a disability. It's a learning difference. Absolutely. And so then what would happen in my uh, in memorizing the script, I had I read the script into a recorder and I would listen to it to get the stories as actors were storytellers. So I would get the stories. I would have to listen to it. And so after every third rehearsal, I would re-record because there would be a change in the cadence. There would be inflections. There would be, you know, it, it was evolving. 
And so after third, every third rehearsal, I would, I would re-record the, the script into a recorder and listen to it. Well, in my imaginary work, each character had a different color. Uh, I don't know why I didn't ask. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask myself. I didn't judge it. Yep. It was, it was just what it was. And so each character ha had a different color. And I don't know if it was because of the emotion or the mood or the cadence, you know, but it just had a different color. So the second night with the second night of my performance, which was uh, before we opened with an audience, I went up on the, in the second scene and I turned to the audience. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm lost. And I walked around the stage and I was thinking, oh, my God, the script's backstage, but I'm the only one out here. I can't leave the stage. The, uh, this is a rehearsal, so the stage manager's on doing lights and I can't ask for lines. So, And then I thought of the color. When I thought of the color, then it brought me back into the performance. Wow. And, and I finished the, uh, the performance. And I was talking to... Um, uh, a friend of mine who's a sports psychologist. He 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 uh, specializes in peak performance. He he worked with our dive team, and then he went to Juilliard and working with performers there, musicians and um, singers and all that. Um, and I I told him this story and goes, "Oh my God, that makes so much sense," because when you're thinking logic, that's left brain, where the script is. The stage manager's on lights. I can't ask for mine. Uh, but when I thought of the color, that's right brain. So it brought me back into the, into the, um, the performance because that's where performance lives is right brain. And I said, you know, you, you probably weren't down as long as you thought you were. You know, because I thought I, I, I thought I was like forever before I got back on the trip. But he said it was probably pretty quick. Because as soon as you th thought of the color, it brought you back into the performance. That's amazing. Holy shit. That's know? amazing. And I, thought that, I thought that was like really cool. So I'm really, really right brain dominant. Yeah. And I was really left brain dominant. So I'm working on switching that for performances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And letting that go and little tricks, you know, little mm -hmm. tricks are music, color. You know, the, you know, to get back emotion, you know, emotion is more um, is, is a different spot, but it can trigger right into your, you know, into your right brain. When I, when I would speak and I, I would picture a wave crescendoing when I would speak and then all the words that I've already said are falling behind me so that I don't imagine what I've already said. And I'm not thinking about what I'm about to say. And right. every single time it puts me in flow. Yeah. And so I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to develop the same thing. So I'm excited. I'm super excited to this. The part that you just said will definitely be the, the trailer of the podcast. Um, and I, and I work really hard on those when I have, when I have special guests. So you, you will, you will really appreciate the trailer that I put together from that story that you just told. Cool. Cool. Well, Greg, I, I can't like, again, you know, this is going to be helpful for me. It's going to be helpful for many, many athletes uh, out there in the world and many performers. And I don't think that people understand that even on Clubhouse and even in their business and marketing and negotiating and friendships and relationships, they're performing. And so I'm super, yeah. I'm super excited for you to have been here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. This is a joy. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm going to tell my mom you said hi. No. <laughs> yeah, tell her hi. Give her a hug for me. I will. I will. That, that'll, be, that'll be super fun. Yeah. All right, Mr. Greg. Well, your pleasure. Now, where, where are you? Where, where do you? I'm out. Where in, are you located? I'm out in Little Rock, Arkansas. I just moved out here okay. um, three and a half weeks ago for my new basketball season. Um, and I, okay. I came out here from uh, Los Angeles and Long Beach area. And then I, I grew up in okay. Oregon. So I've been. Now, um, are you usually in, in California or where where's. Yes, yeah, so home is home is Long Beach, and I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna think I'm gonna put a my, my me and my little brother are talking about putting a down payment on a house and doing some things down there uh, this next off nice. season. Is that where you're nice. at? Yeah, I, I'm in Topanga. Okay, okay. Top, top Topanga, but I go. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, let's see. Uh, I I still do some dog agility, so um, you know, we we travel around all over Southern California. 
Okay. Okay. Well, when I when I get back, I I mean, I have your number, so we uh I would love to see, to watch you in action. I think that'd be super cool to see you do some dog training. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I've got a puppy in training and um actually Pax I I could probably trial her, but there's not a whole lot of trials going on. Right. Um they're starting to come back slowly. So well, maybe maybe late July when uh, I think it should be late July. I go out there. There's an opportunity. Okay. I have an opportunity to play in a, a tournament that the two million dollar tournament. I don't know if, what you know about basketball. Um, Not much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they have a two million dollar cash tournament that they've created in the United States that I, okay. I might be playing in in late July and in August, which is just a, okay. a blast. Um, but uh, at some point I will be back in California. Um, I will yeah. see you on Clubhouse in the meantime, which I always enjoy. And you're always welcome in my rooms. Um, yeah, call, call, you know, let's get to get together. Um, do you know um, Craig Clayman? Uh, I want to say Craig, yes. Craig, I'm sure you've, you've been in some of his rooms. Okay. Um, but anyways, he's been doing like, um, you know, and I saw these people from Clubhouse. It's such a trip. Like, um, you know, Wolf Lion. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, so he was there. He, he had this little dinner party. He's been having these little dinner parties. And it's like, hey, can you come? It's like, so I've been going. It's it's so cool. Oh, like in person, cool. like dinner parties. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. that's so fun. Yeah, it's it's a trip. You know, he's just down in the Palisades. It's like, oh yeah, I just come down the hill. You know, and just kind of you know going there. It's been great. Boy, that's awesome yeah there's yeah. there's a lot of wonderful people uh jake hunter um some other some of my <laughs> some of my clubhouse friends that that are good down in california that i i can't wait to see and give a big hug to in real life like this virtual stuff is great but i can't wait to to see these people so you're yeah. enough, you're definitely on that list and we'll have to have a we'll have to have a virtual get together or a real life get together. real real life get together. yeah <laughs> that's great i'd love it <laughs> I love it, Greg. All right. Well, I'm off to, I think I got to call my coach back because I'm sure he has plenty of questions for me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just enjoy the rest of your day. I will, I will make sure I let you know, I'll send you the trailer when it's finished. Um, okay. and it should be out probably by next week sometime. Awesome. Awesome. Greg. Well, thanks, Jeremy. It's so sure much fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Greg.